Hello and welcome to the TOVG podcast. Yeah! My name is George. Oh. I'm doing a normal intro. Listen to how normal we are. Dang. Us, us normal, ordinary, uh, uh, okay people include Jimmy Belikoff and Matt Visual as per usual. Hi. Hi. So, I'm still uh, drinking crystal coffee, equity. but but I decided not to use the <laughs> cold brew filter for it, and it's... Right. It's only okay now. It's, it's basically... For your own benefit and that of our fans as well. Oh, God, yeah. So, so actually, Jimmy, I'm curious. I want to know, how did you uh, how did you censor the gagging noises in an effort to prevent mass hysteria and or an epidemic plague of, of people across the world getting George-itis? I just completely muted them. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, yeah, you just, it basically, Matt says something about the thing that grossed you out, and then you just go, oh, and then it cuts into <laughs> the part where you retch, and I just cut that out completely. <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, like I was wondering if you were gonna like uh, uh, start pasting in like boss noises from Dark Souls games. No, I, I figured that would be confusing and distracting, and, and I, I'd rather people just have understood. Like, yeah, George just almost threw yeah. up, but you didn't hear it. I mean, at that point, because... they might not know how bad it actually was. Because. Well, just take our words for it, listeners. It was bad. It was really bad. <laughs> like, like almost something coming out. Like almost there. Like, like right like there. There was almost a second break. That's mm-hmm. it was the peaking. second time peaking, last week you know? that happened. Matt, you keep making me almost vomit. What a bad friend. <laughs> you want to come back over and play some VR when I get my ceiling mounts? Uh, <laughs> I do. I do. Is that like something you legit have planned for the new apartment? Oh yeah, yeah. I I showed you. I three D printed ceiling mounts. So um, the, is the landlord gonna let you drill up there? I don't give a crap about the what the land. I mean, of <laughs> you course, damn. She uh, she is. Of course, she is. Oh. Um. I'll oh. I'll ask. And if anything, I can just you know stick some cock in there. Yeah, yeah. Is that that's what, it's what you do when you uh, finish <laughs> drilling in walls. You you stick some caulk in there, like rub it around caulk. real good. Caulk. Yeah, yeah. When you drill holes, you stick some caulk in there. Right. C A L K. Wipe wipe off caulk. the caulk with some white beige colored uh, material. Jesus the Christ! You put your caulk into. All right, guys. Uh, welcome to the TOVG podcast, <laughs> where welcome. we always intro with something completely unrelated. Uh. But we're a podcast. On video games and video game news. Mm-hmm. We usually start up with talking about what we've been playing. And I can actually, here we go, guys, briefly say that I played PlayStation VR yesterday. Cool, what'd you think? Oh, why would that be the first one you try? Oh, interesting. Because that was the one that the person had at the place that I was at. And I played Thumper. Oh, okay. Um, so I actually played Thumper at E3 last year, and despite it being cool and and it interested me, uh, I kind of walked away being like, well, that just kind of felt like a rhythm game. And then a lot of my friends got Thumper when it came out, and they were just singing praises about it. And I was like, it really just felt like a rhythm game to me. I don't understand. Mm. And then I played Thumper in VR, and I understood. Because it goes from a rhythm game to like... like an EDM horror tension rhythm game and it was so much fun and 
Uh, it was it was great. Um, I played the the whole first level of Thumper up to the final boss of it, and it was uh, very impressive. Um, being able to look around at all the like distracting like tentacle looking visuals and stuff around was like it made it much more I don't know creepy and like unsettling to be to be playing. And the of course having proper headphones and not in an E three showroom yeah uh, helped, but. Yeah, it was it was good. I enjoyed it. It took a second to make it work with my glasses on. It was a bit uh, uncomfortable, even when I got it set correctly. But uh, pretty, pretty sold on the idea that that's that's going to go somewhere. That VR is is working. How does it look when you see the ramp going all the way up through the middle of the screen in VR? How does that Uh, I mean, it looks like it's far away. It definitely like feels like distance, um, which was the which was the weird thing. I didn't play Resident Evil Seven, which uh, mm. he did have there. Um, I watched the screen while he played it, and the, this was Alex, by the way, Alex Fasciani. The whole time he was playing Resident Evil Seven, because he played like a bit of the intro and then like went into the house and did like a little bit after the intro, and the whole time he was just like looking around, like I'm on a porch right now. I know I'm not on a porch, but I'm standing on a porch right now. I it just it feels like it. And there was a part where he had to like go into like a, a sewer kind of area, and then like the character had to duck down into water, and he like ducked down and was going under something. He's like, ah, uh, I don't like this. I feel like I'm in the water. Yeah. I'm not, but I feel like it. Like, and I wouldn't have wanted it's, to play that because it it was scary enough just watching. It's really cute and, how yeah. how some familiar sights and sounds in VR will actually like trigger associations. Like, like when you're on the porch, I imagine I would smell pine and feel a breeze. And, yeah. and sometimes when there's like a gust of of uh, of, of snow wind. on the screen, you like kind of mm. feel an imaginary chill. Yeah. And, and you know you're not supposed to, and that just makes it more cute. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't have a lengthy experience with it, but I definitely understand a bit more because I really hadn't done VR before. I did uh, I did the Vive one time, and I just played, like, the Fruit Ninja game. Oh, on my it. gosh. Yeah, it, the worst. It, they, there, there wasn't much available, but, like, it was still yeah. pretty cool. But uh, actually playing, like, a... a a proper game like a long form game not just like a a quick mini game was uh definitely a better experience and i'm i'm a little sad that of all the psvr lineup it was thumper that you got to play with which which is like fine it's it's a fine game it's totally okay it's just uh like not the kind of thing that actually plays different on a mechanical level when you're when you're in vr like in uh uh, i beg to differ how so because I think that more so what Thumper is is a distractionary rhythm game because it it clearly lays out the bits in front of you that you're about to do, right? And it gives you sound cues to show you the rhythm. Like it goes like... And that's like, that means that you're going to have to hit your button and hold it down for the bars and then turn. But because of the, of the crazy like... Uh, procedurally generated like tentacles and like darkness shit that's going on around the track and the sound effects that go along with that it's very it distracts you from being able to keep your wits about you and make those those button prompts however 
it's much more distracting when it feels like that stuff is all around you and like coming at you as opposed to just looking at it on a screen. So I think that it, while not the most crazy in-depth use of VR, I think it is a benefit to how the game feels. Like I said, it feels more like a horror experience, like something like unsettling as opposed to just like a rhythm game with some creepy visuals along with it. So like more cosmetic differences than anything, more Uh, visual visual differences, should I say? Like, yes, but because it's gameplay, because well, it is gameplay because it's harder to function and react to things Mm. when like, I think that's, you know, like subjective. (sighs) And as you learn the game, it will of course. But I think that that's saying that's subjective is like, yeah, that's video games, period, because, you know. Some people are not going to have this amazing experience walking through Journey. Some people are going to be like, oh, it's so beautiful. So, like, everything's subjective. But I think the use of VR makes it makes that original concept that was in Thumper feel more visceral, mm. which I think is to the game's credit. But, uh, yeah, I don't I know. I wish you were in Georgia so I can show you some uh, some good stuff. <laughs> Something I, it makes me want to... The more I hear about like PSVR, it makes me want to just grab one so I can see what it is. Like actually, not just like at a show, but actually own one to actually know, okay, so this is the limitations of this. Oh, the games are good. The, 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 you know, I just want to want to actually see it. And pl- plus I want to play um, Resident Evil 7 because everyone's saying it's really good. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems pretty cool. And then we briefly... Uh, trekked over to someone else's apartment real quick before going out to dinner. And uh, he actually had an Oculus set up. I believe Mm. it was an Oculus or maybe it was a Vive. Uh, It had two sensor posts that were set up around the TV to look. I don't know if that's all of them or. Wait, um, was it on opposite ends of the room? Or was it two uh, in front of you? Two in front of you. That that was the Oculus. Okay, yeah, he had an Oculus. And I watched uh, my friend Kels play the that like underwater demo where you're just like on a shipwreck underwater and you're like floating around and like a whale comes by and stuff. Oh, and yeah, she yeah. was saying, cause she had just played Thumper as well with me. And uh, she was saying that the Oculus just like looks um, like way better. Uh, she also played a bit of Resident Evil seven um, on the PSVR. So uh, yeah, it wasn't like super duper impressive, but I was definitely like, Oh yeah, this is, this is cool. Like this is how I would play Thumper or something similar in the future. And, if I was to. And really, like, um, don't base your whole experience over that, like, one game. Because a lot of games do the graphics differently for it to work mm-hmm. on VR. Like, yeah, certain things sense. just look way better I, than I everything else. I also think there's a mechanical layer to it. Like, games made for VR are more about uh, object manipulation or, or a sense of presence. And, like, Thumper seems... To me, I, I played it both in VR and in regular, and it kind of plays the same. And to a degree, so does RE7, but RE7 has, has like a, a sense of environmental immersion and presence going for it. I mean, the stuff flying at you in Thumper is so abstract that uh, you're not really turning your head to peek into kitchen cabinets for stuff that you wouldn't be able to, for, for moves that you wouldn't be able to make with just the analog stick by itself. Mm-hmm. And that's what games like Job Simulator and, and Batman VR are all about, are using the, the headset and the motion controller's new input methods. RE7 seems to like kind of be seeking a compatibility of both um, 
control schemes and and i think that works like really really well the that's like what happened with me and my experience with vr was playing killer apps that were designed for vr and not for just the playstation first yeah i mean that's kind of always what i've thought about vr is i'm interested to see the things that can do only what vr can provide like the things that can utilize it to an interesting degree but i definitely get how it can be useful in aiding games that don't need it more you know Mm -hmm. like i I understand that concept a little bit more now Mm -hmm. why people would opt to play certain games in vr even if they're not expressly made for it yeah it definitely adds a a whole new layer to it like i mean Mm. Someone who loves Project Cars is probably loving that there's VR support. Like I, people right. come, like and uh, to the store and like buy like these uh, oh. these full rigs. Spend like five hundred dollars on a, a wheel, pedals, everything for the yeah. real experience. I've seen people online build cockpits to play, um, <laughs> uh, you know. Um, Elite Dangerous and stuff like that. And for cockpit games, like you have head tracking, you can peek around your shoulder to keep an eye on the car that may or may not be overtaking you while also glancing every now and again at the main lane to know what you're about to hit. And that's that's a move that's a lot harder to make on a controller. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that... that, mm. I can't wait. <laughs> I, I really I really want you to actually try some other stuff. I'm glad you finally, you know, popped your cherry. And your first experience you was positive. Stuff. It wasn't a yeah. negative like like mine. Yeah, I mean, was. like, like. I would be like my biggest thing making me not want to try it is that I'll want to buy it because <laughs> yep. it's expensive and I and I don't want to be sold on it. But I am comfortable after that being like, I can appreciate this and still not necessarily want to buy it's it. It's just uh, um, that's, that Thumper is barely <laughs> scratching the surface, man. I'm really interested no, I in, in, in what you're going to be thinking after playing more more yeah. dedicated VR games. Yeah, Edge uh, of Tomorrow is kind of, kind of, Edge of Nowhere is kind of, of like nowhere. that, where it's mm-hmm. basically a camera following behind the person. And... Really, if you could play that with a controller and a, on a 2D screen, but mm-hmm. the VR that adds to that. I remember when I first played it and I was talking about it on the podcast, it it feels like a regular game or whatnot. But like when you when you play it in VR, you know, you're you're kind of like, oh, this is your character. No, don't touch my toy. You know, it's like, don't don't touch my toy. Mm-hmm. Like it's like you're playing action figures and you, right, you, you right. know, and um, you're trying to keep him alive. Um, as these like monsters creep up from anywhere and you look up and you see like this monster. Yeah. You could have just twirled the the thumbstick up, you know, just like a regular thing, I guess for a better example, like Thumper, you know, it's, it definitely adds that extra layer that probably to a mediocre game, I would say Thumper is probably a a lot better (laughs) edge edge of nowhere. But like this one's, this one was like a mediocre story in a mediocre game, Uh, but it it was Mm -hmm. definitely enhanced based on VR and made it a decent experience because, you know, of what, what, what it added to the experience, especially when you're running and jumping off cliffs and stuff. But yeah. Mm -hmm. In any case, I imagine that if I had one, I'd seriously give a go just flat out replacing the monitor with it. 
Like, I like the yeah. idea of playing normal games on a giant virtual screen. That sounds cool, too, even if they don't uh, support, like, fully a full 180-degree peripheral vision render that render that you can move your head around. Yeah. So, that's about all I played. I mean, I did download Roller Coaster Tycoon Classic on yes. Android. Yeah, it's, it's okay, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think... I'm not having as much of that uh, that problem you were talking about with the like double pressing things gets exhausting. It is a little more cumbersome, but it hasn't been too bad. Also, though, I do have a Galaxy Note Five, so I have a tablet fe- tablet pen built into my phone. Mm, you think that's a little um, easier on the arms, right? And might add a little bit extra precision. The thing I didn't know about, I don't know if I just skipped this detail. I didn't realize that. Uh, RCT Classic has a fast forward function in it. Yep. Which is like Perfect infinitely valuable to the series. Like the original one and two did not have fast forward, and a lot of missions ended up where you would, you know, reach your goal maybe like halfway through the three year cycle, and then you're just like, guess I just stare at my computer screen for three more hours while <laughs> it goes. Um, but the fast forward helped me. Like I was able to beat Forest Frontiers in like I don't know, like less than an hour or something. Because so, after I got to a certain point, I just fast forwarded until I had enough money to keep paying my loan off. And I think I found a bug later on into the second level, and uh, I think this is really, really embarrassing. I think they forgot to add ramps to the car ride. Because uh, I built a prefabricated car ride that uh oh really yeah and i went to modify some of the um track pieces so that i could put some scenery and get them to wind and ramp above and below them and i uh-huh. to save my life i could not find the ramp buttons and I actually this really really bugged me i looked up footage of the old pc roller coaster tycoon games of people building car rides and saw the ramps uh-huh. at the same place in the editor they would be when you're making roller coaster tracks and they're just <laughs> not there in the mobile version for the car ride and that really, really killed my enthusiasm for what is seems like a perfectly fine port. Yeah, um, that is interesting. So now I have I, this, I don't wanna... this lemon of a ride. It's I have to tear the whole thing <laughs> down and build another one or just start the level over from scratch. I spent a lot of money on that car ride prefab and, and ruined it by deleting a piece that I can't replace. Yeah, um, the... How was I going to say? Oh, two things that i noticed that were really cool um just being able to use roller coaster tycoon 2's scenery options in maps from the first game is like a joy to me because i'm you know i'm used to playing each of the games on their own terms but being able to put like these crazy structures that you can build from two out of like individual walls and platforms and stuff into maps from one has been really really cool um a little difficult to manage putting stuff on top of each other it's kind of weird positioning things but like that kind of comes with the ui it's very i would say it's very difficult to do that but the other thing was um ah fuck i just lost my train of thought shoot oh they balanced your loan now because originally in the old games having a loan of ten thousand dollars was like who cares you pay like sixteen dollars every month on interest and so it was like yeah why wouldn't i just take out a full loan it's not like it's costing me anything 
now they made it so that the loan interest is actually a sizable amount of money. So you like paying off your loan is actually a worthwhile endeavor and you could in the long run lose a lot of money if you don't do it quickly. So, it so I think that's a good balance change. Yeah, it makes the game like slightly more challenging because before you would just like, yeah, I'll just keep my $10,000 and just spend it all immediately. But now it's like, I'll I'll make some good investments and I'll return some of the money as soon as possible. It's it's good. It's a good thing. So, okay. so it encourages my, my sections over to be normal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Matt, what have you been up to? Well, um, other than moving my life, all my life in a truck, and uh, uh, you know, making sure that uh, no one tries to steal as I was moving. Um, people kept coming up to the <laughs> to the door saying, "Hey, you need some help?" And I was really? like, "Nah, Whoa. yeah, yeah." It's that type, it's that type of neighborhood where you like, like people are looking for work and stuff, you know. And you know, I don't trust anybody. I know there was this guy who's like, "I know I found me some work," and I was like, "Nah, you did it. Sorry, bro. We almost <laughs> done." And, and we're like. You know, we still had some stuff to go, but I was like, nah, I'm not going to. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. But anyways, after I, I moved all this stuff. Um, uh, I got a chance uh, before all that was happening. I got a chance to play some for honor because uh, oh. a friend had a beta code. And I was like, yo, yeah. yo, uh, slide me some of that. Some of that action. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? I want some Viking Viking booty going on right you know? cool. so um and and speaking of vikings they're they're pretty ridiculous in for honor i don't know if any of you guys have played it yet i haven't i haven't gotten in any of the betas nor have i had time um i had a bit of time played a, a, a couple hours so take my you know my opinions with a grain of salt here so right. far it looks Pre- preliminary pretty, yeah it, it's uh there is like a 2v2 map there was a 1v1 mm-hmm. map and there was a 4v4 map um, okay. So there, the one v one, you literally it's like one v one, right? And you're you're in a small stage and you fight against each other. Two v two, you and you and one other person fight against another person. And sometimes mm-hmm. what ends up happening is uh, one person will go for one guy and another person will go for another guy. Uh, sometimes they mm-hmm. spawn you right in front of each, each other, so you kind of like have to like okay, I have to get through this guy first and. Um, there was like a situation where they spawned me at a bridge and people with shields, man, these guys, these guys are annoying. Okay. Like they (laughs) will shield bash you off, off, like into the water and you will die instantly. Um, it's stuff like that or off a cliff or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of little jankiness like that going on where there's no way for you to escape because you're kind of getting body blocked by this huge guy and you're like, mm-hmm. okay, I need to get out of here. Let me. And then he's like, just pushes you off. I'm like, ah, oh, okay, great. How, uh, um, it's good. Co- you respawn. Um, in two V twos, you don't respawn. Oh. You die once and the other guy has to fight two. So it's a really the big guys deal if left. they push you off the edge. Yes, yeah. it, it gets it gets frustrating, especially when you whoop that ass, and all of a sudden they're like get a lucky blow, and you fall off the edge. I'm looking it's at some really some mm-hmm. gameplay footage, and this uh, it doesn't look like what I remember, but I'm struggling to remember what it 
looked like during the initial Ethereum presentation. The swordplay in this game looks gorgeous. Yeah, They're it's like it's pretty tight into and back at each other with like smooth animations in and out of each swing. It doesn't look like they're just locking on and and pressing attack buttons. It looks and you well, I mean, and you, maybe it does, but it, it looks you you have much a lock on than what I'm used to seeing. And it, when you lock on, you can actually see how they're going to attack. When you're not locked on, you can just kind of wail into the wind. Um, mm. When you lock on, you can kind of see, oh, the attack is coming from left, right, or top. Um, and then you can block them or, and, and, and a lot of the com there's a lot of combos in this that you have to learn. And they're kind of, it's like, like fighting moves, you know, you have to press up and W and then shield bash and then go down and W or something like that. And some of them are really, really long. Um, and it's, it's pretty satisfying when you land it because I mean, it like changes the whole battle. Uh, people get turned around. So there's like fast characters. There's range characters where they have longer like staffs. There's, um, of course, like well-balanced characters that you start off with and, you know, the other ones you kind of have to pay for with like money you earn in game, but they give you like right. a bunch of money uh, in the beginning. So you can just kind of try whatever you want, especially during the closed beta. Uh, now it's an open beta, so people can play now um, whenever they want. Um, mm. But there's like well-balanced guys and then there's guys who, you know, have trade-offs uh, and the fast guys, you, you get like a couple of those guys surrounding you. It's game over, like, especially if you're a big guy. Um so on the 4v4 now, it totally changes and um, you have three capture points, uh, one near you, one far in the enemy place, and then one in the middle where you have uh, both of your factions fighting against each other, these little NPC players, kind of like Titan Titanfall. We have these mm -hmm. NPCs running around, but they're all like pushing Hordes the middle. So, yeah, a big horde of them. So what you have to do in order to win that middle spot is to go in that horde and you just, like, murder them like Dynasty Warriors, like, straight up. <laughs> and you have to push. And when you do that, it pushes the march up and then they fill up the space that needs to be captured. Um, during that, you know, people, like other enemy players will just be like in there and they'll, they'll get a few hits on you if you're not careful, especially if they kind of blend in. Um, and it has like, this like strategy, uh, so like even in some, uh, some guys, some, uh, loadouts, I guess you can say, or some characters, uh, you can heal off of like killing an enemy. Um, uh, killing, killing, uh, an NPC. Uh, there's right. also, um, like all of them have different kind of uh, bonuses that you can unlock uh, a little bit later. Um, you know, like sh the shield bash and stuff like that, mm -hmm. and, and and ultra combos and stuff like that. And uh, there's like a couple of oh snap button ultras as oh, well snap in there. Button. Yeah, the oh snap! I better press my ultra to survive. You know. Yeah, that mm -hmm. that type of button. Um, right. But uh, yeah, there's different stuff like that. It, all in all, it was a pretty good experience. I would say, as soon as I got my my body rocked by a Viking with a shield, I played Viking the whole time, and it was a lot better. <laughs> so um, I. I think it's because I just didn't know the game. And that's usually how it works. In the beginning, everyone's getting rocked by everything. 
and um, you know, you, you have to find like what, what is actually working or is there an imbalance? Um, right, right. But yeah. So I'm looking at a IGN video of, of them playing as the Knights. They're fighting the Vikings. I just wanted to say that, that whoever made the combat animations for the Knights is a legit Renaissance martial art nerd. Because it looks like your <laughs> basic fast attack has the guy swinging his blade while holding it by the blade. Which, which every time you go to a dorky sword fighting lecture that they, they say that's how I you actually do it. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah. Momokame. <laughs> yeah, I remember Momokame. Yeah. <laughs> those, those people might have made this game. Right, right, right. Um, oh my are gosh. there any netcode issues? Because it looks like it looks like uh, once you're locked onto a person and the two of you are exchanging blows, you're kind of playing a dance game together. You're like pressing directions, and as they come flashing on the screen, I didn't have any problems with lag, but yet I was playing the closed beta, and that's very like you know tight. I guess you can say yeah, small audience. Yeah, so open beta would probably be the best way to find out because everyone can download it. Um, um, and hopefully it's good because I hate lagginess, uh, especially with a, I, I could get into this type of game. I could really, it's, it reminds me of chivalry. It reminds me of a lot of those sword games that didn't, it, it didn't really do it too much for me. You know, I played the heck out of it, but it didn't really like, I don't yeah. know, like, oh man, I want to go back and play that. This chivalry one looks like it might be in that game. area. Yeah. I, I, I might want to play on controller though. Uh, it seems like it, it seems like it's built for it, especially those combos. Yeah. Uh, I never got a yeah, chance to it, go back, but those combos are pretty <laughs> ridiculous on keyboard. It seems like the uh, the presentation that they had at E3 originally was very much focusing on it being a sort of like a stick based input system for a lot of those mm -hmm. attacks and defenses. Yeah. No one here is shooting anyone with a gun, so I'm sure you'd be fine playing with a controller. I mean, yeah. I don't know. People playing Dark Souls PvP on PC probably aren't aren't having any advantage with keyboard and mouse over the controller players. No. Metal no, Gear Solid, on the other hand, you know, playing that without a controller is a goddamn mess. But once you uh, switch over to mouse and keyboard on the PC version, all of a sudden you're the top rated player in the server. <laughs> Not even trying that Oof. much harder than anyone else. That was that was <laughs> eye opening when I did that. Um, what about you, George? I've been playing two uh, PlayStation hack and slash games. I've been playing two Demon human? Souls. Oh. No, no. I've been playing Demon Souls <laughs> on uh, my friend Colin sent me his PlayStation Three, which didn't work during the first couple days it would freeze up and i'd have to hard reset it by unplugging the cord after the fan would blow it extremely loud so i did all the steps in which you you void the warranty by pulling off a sticker that has a screw underneath it to take the whole thing apart disassemble it by taking individual components out and blowing dust out from from all of them it was really dusty on the inside and I was scared. I was shivering. I was sweating. I was I was screaming whenever my phone would ring because I was just so so stressed <laughs> out about taking apart someone else's console that I uh, was was really really worried that it wouldn't work when I put it back together. Oh my god, it does! It works fine now. The fan still blows really really loud, but 
the games don't freeze up. They they don't have any weird FPS spikes or anything, which reminds me that the last generation of consoles, the Xbox 360 and the PS3 seemed like very shoddily built products. Hmm. I mean, this is a PS3 Slim, so so it's supposed to be more reliable than the original, which has a uh, yellow light of death issue that that a lot of users report four uses into four years into using it rather than the Xbox 360's infamous red ring of death after like one year of regular use. They 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 had to repair and, and reship people Xboxes for free because of that. And uh, that really, really cost Microsoft early on in that gen when they had a very very strong lead but uh playstation mm. 3 seem to have all sorts of problems of their own issues with uh dust buildup and and thermal paste wearing off of the processor and when i was scrolling through all these repair forums uh these these people who were talking about it are like yeah only only an idiot would never unplug their ps3 from the wall and input the the secret fan testing code to blow out the internal dust every six months and it's like they don't tell you to do that on on the <laughs> screen or in the manual yeah. in the manual they might in like some page in the back in tiny print that no one reads but uh my, my counter is only an idiot would devise a console in which you have to do that in order for it to continue working after six months i i can't believe that this is also happening with the slim model users report that the fans on the slim model break at a faster rate than the than the they do on the regular ps3 but on the regular ps3 you have the thermal paste in this yellow light issue and and i mean any i think they finally fixed the red ring of death in the xbox 360 with the black elite slim version yeah, if i'm remembering I that correctly it took them like four well, years but wow um, was... wait wait no i got it, it wasn't the the slim one wasn't what they fixed it was a little bit earlier than that because i have the uh i had the elite I have the modern warfare 2 um black 360 and that one has lasted me quite a few years i i had the um, elite when uh halo 3 came out um and that that was good that that was fine i i so, no, so, and that was a black so one, of course. Maybe it took. So the it was one. when the black they, ones came they out. Started, they and they discount. They got rid of the white ones. That's when it started working. You know what I'm saying? It was when they started uh, <laughs> pushing out the massive hard drives included with them. Yeah. I, it was when when anything above the 128 gig was the the base hard drive space for the 360. That's when they stopped red ringing, as far as I know. I had a white one that I bought at launch. I sent it in twice after red rings, and Matt was there when it red ringed for the third time. So, like, mm. my experience and memories are colored by 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 those events, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. I, I had an original white Xbox 360 and red ring twice, and I was lucky enough to know somebody who was decent with soldering at the time, it, and they just fixed it up for me. And then they ended up modding it. So, so seeing this that dusty as hell PS3, like, whine and, and whiz its way to playing Demon Souls after I, like, pull the rip cord, like, start up the lawnmower <laughs> to get it going, really makes me appreciate how much how much more solid the the ps4 feels in comparison like like you pick up a ps3 and it's really heavy you like feel four different chunks of of plastic and metal like jiggle around in there whenever you move it and and the <laughs> ps4 it's just like one solid black box it's about the same size but it feels lighter it, it runs quieter the the console ui is way better and it 
Kind of makes me appreciate the little baby steps they took after a seven year generation. But oh man, what a like, I, I don't know. I guess I guess games were fine last generation, but but the hardware between the Xbox and the 360 just seemed like way more unreliable than every other generation and and console yeah, it history. It took them a while to get to a spot where it became reliable, but like I still we actually we pretty much use that 360 that I have the Modern Warfare 2 edition daily because it's pretty much our Netflix, Hulu, Crunchyroll, mm-hmm. etc. machine. Um so like I don't know. It's it took them a while. Definitely the launch of those systems were not reliable hardware at all, but they eventually got into it. Obviously, it was a much better launch for the the, the current generation. If I at least I don't think there was any major hardware issues with, were there. Once you go the, black, you don't go back. The 360 or the PS3? Uh, I'm talking about the Xbox one. Oh, and the PS4. Yeah, yeah, no, not that I know of. Like. <clears throat> Oh man, like being alive and paying attention to the news during the Xbox 360 Red Ring scandal when that first broke was amazing. <laughs> it was such a clusterfuck. Like uh, right, right around when 2006 was turning into 2007 and onwards through 2007 when they started the, the uh, refurbishing program for free. Like, like oh, the flame wars were, were raging at their highest temperature forever before and after. Because they really yeah. just threw a console at a wall and decided to see what would stick before actually finishing the design of their console. Yeah. Um. Oh, the console wars. Ah. So simpler times. Let's see. I, Demon Souls is fine. I played a bit of Shadow Tower, which is a PlayStation One game that supposedly influenced the Souls games. Oh, it's some janky bullshit. You. It kind of looks like a game you'd see on a CSI. Or um, NCIS episode of uh, uh, this this first person perspective that that a player slowly rotates left and right on while while swinging weapons with like the most basic the weapon model is sliding from the top to the bottom of the frame animation. <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, something else. I, I don't know if I'll play more of it, but the first twenty minutes were really really rough. The Kingsfield games. This is a spinoff of the Kingsfield games. Have like one of the most slowest and unresponsive first person control schemes I think you could find even way back then in the mid nineties, when uh, other games like I, I don't know Doom and and Goldeneye had figured out how to make console first person controls fine um and i've also been playing let it die on the playstation 4 which is extremely frustrating because i'm playing past the point where there should be a soft paywall uh around floor 16 of this roguelike tower that you're climbing up there's a boss who seems like a fair fight except for one special attack she uses that was able to one shot kill uh characters that I had leveled up to around level 50. And this attack that she uses does, I don't know, let's say 150% more damage than all her other attacks. All her other attacks mm-hmm. have a slower wind-up animation, have an audio cue, kind of telling you when to press the dodge button. And they they also don't instantly punish you with, with the death that, depending on how much money you pay, may cause you to completely have to start the whole tower over again. Um, oh, yeah. And that that seems like 
the the free to play garbage happening like they set up this fight that would otherwise be fair until the boss does one specific attack up until this this point in the game it's not too very difficult there's just this difficulty spike in the middle of a boss fight on one particular attack the damage she takes and the damage she deals is fine until she's using this one attack and i think i think that's the point where they want you to be using your your uh your pay tokens to to revive that's how this game handles um microtransactions you pay to revive your character instantly on the spot Otherwise, you have to take a new character into the tower and uh, defeat their zombified corpse, which can take a very, very long time of repetitive grinding if you if you don't have a secondary character ready to go at that point. And getting any new character to reach the level they're supposed to be at the upper levels of this tower, I guess the upper floors of the tower is a better word to eliminate this confusion. I'm writing the script in another window believe it or not it's really really lengthy to make that happen and it almost seems like they've built the game in a way where uh even the people who are paying it are gonna have a bad time because of this grind that you kind of have to do no matter what because if you don't do this grind you're gonna be paying shit loads of money for revives all the time Mm -hmm. once you just let your character die that's 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 the joke yeah, that's what I was getting at. <laughs> I think if you're making a game about letting things you may be attached to go away, there's probably more elegant ways to do it than uh, giving some richer players a way out if they just pay for the revive. When you look at a lot of guides and forum posts about this game, they 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 have a agreed consensus that paying for these revives is not actually that worth it unless it's during boss fights because the rest of of the game's mook enemies can be uh baited into one-on-ones that can be overcome much more easier than the bosses which are just cheesy overpowered quarter munching garbage and it like is a quarter muncher the, the meta twist in this game is that you're actually playing an arcade game in the game world <laughs> and and the the uh revive tokens that you buy are actually 50 cents each in the in the microtransaction store so it really is just like shoving quarters into the machine when when you get to the boss at the end of battle toads interesting yeah yeah it's not very balanced there are obscure tactics that can get you through the game for free but you will still have to grind a lot to uh, get your characters' levels and their gear up to the point to make that a viable sounds, option. Sounds bad. It sounds. It starts off good. Sounds though. like a waste of time. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine who plays mobile games, and I have a feeling something might be going on with Pokemon Duel as well. Like they set it up so that the first week you spend with it is much, much more fair. Because that's uh, mm. that first wall was at floor sixteen, and that was one boss's one particular attack. Later on at floor 23, there's a boss whose attacks can one-shot kill characters who are leveled up to where they should be at that point. And the damage you do to that boss is probably going to be chip damage. Unless you look up the guides, find out how to make mushrooms that, that make you invisible and slow down times and the specific attack on the specific weapon that does massive damage to this boss. Like, there are ways around it, but they're so obscure 
that it doesn't feel fair. I, mm. I I watch gameplay of it and I just do not get the I don't get it. It looks it looks kind <laughs> of like crap. I mean, there's to, some like cute. the combat looks. I mean, I've only watched a couple videos, so maybe the guy who was playing it, like he was at a high level too, and I was just like, what? what this punching, you punch, you run away, you punch, you run. Away. Yep. What is this? Yep, it's it's uh, kind of like Dark Souls, except distance matters more than rolling. <laughs> You walk backwards until the AI decides to attack and miss, and that's your cue to attack them. And that's kind of how every fight goes, unless you're up against a mob, in which case you kind of have to get a little interesting with it. But, but yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm ready to to let it die. Just just let it go. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, I needed. I needed. I needed that. Um, I can't wait for the end of your video for you to 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 clutch it to say that again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let it die, and then the music plays as the credits roll. Right. Yeah. The, it shows the <laughs> I, music used in footage during. Yeah, yeah. I, I think <laughs> I said last week that it's still okay for the first few hours, and I still think it is. Like there are things of cultural significance in there, and in terms of like the music they've commissioned and the characters that they've written, but. Once you get introduced to it, stop. Don't go further than the introduction. <laughs> it's just like an hors d'oeuvre. You just like take a couple and you move on to the next yeah. hors d'oeuvre until the meal is ready. I mean, the first hors d'oeuvre is like delicious and free, but imagine if after eating four of them, the next hors d'oeuvre takes like three hours to chew through. Ooh. <laughs> and costs 50 cents. Mm-hmm. I mean, wait, the music, does it have Superman by the hangups? Or, you know, you know, police truck by uh, the 1978 demos. What does, they does it, did uh, was no? they commissioned 100 <laughs> tracks based on the theme of letting things die to 100 different Japanese bands. And the result oh, is like that's right. really eclectic and cute and adorable. There's some real garbage in there, but there's also some just like really catchy, catchy garbage, too. And uh, it's mm. it's it's cute. I remember hearing about that. That's that's like the cute twist of this game is is it's uh, it takes place in this like really edgy, gritty, childish, post-apocalyptic setting. But the uh, there there there's a meta narrative to it that reveals that you're you're in the middle of the arcade with these quirky weirdos who are like really wanting you to get into this edgy, bad video game that that costs <laughs> quarters you put into a machine to play. But no Papa Roach or Naughty by Nature no, or no, Public no. Enemy. Oh, okay. It's okay. The, 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 the songs right. are either in Japanese or English. Oh, okay. English. There's, uh, there's uh, one, one guy who sings a refrain of the song. He's like, come, come and get it. Come, come and get it. And at first I thought he was saying, like, chop the spaghetti because of the way... Because he's not a native English speaker. He was like, chop, chop, spaghetti, chop, chop, spaghetti. Nice. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, anywho, anywho, let's... Speaking of chopping the spaghetti, <laughs> oh, uh, we're going to be cooking up some hot news for you how does that, after this break. How does that have to do with chopping spaghetti? Burn that bush. The bush. <laughs> Okay, uh, I, I still don't know what 
the actually I do have like a slight idea about why the next story could have something to do with chopping spaghetti. Okay. Um there there is a early access platform being uh proposed on Kickstarter for $94,000 to launch a digital distribution platformer called Early Ninja. Mm-hmm. And you know, in Chop Ninja, and in, in Chop Ninja, in Fruit Ninja, you chop fruit. So, I mean, sure, nice. We'll, we'll spaghetti take it. Ninja would would have you chopping spaghetti. <laughs> so, George, what is Early Ninja? Why are we talking about it? <laughs> early Ninja is a um, work in progress, early access develop uh, distribution platform in which uh, the the creators of of uh, this program are are trying to quote unquote fix the quote unquote problem of early access games uh, by sticking to a few fundamental rules when when selling these games on their platforms. Uh, number one is that they will only work with quality projects, rejecting the current throw everything at the wall system to ensure that our early access offering is comprised of high caliber games with a clear plan for completion. Number two is that players will receive refunds for unfinished games if they fail to reach the development milestones with the, uh, this is so weird, the proportion of the refund that the player is receiving corresponding to the proportion of the game that was promised that ended up going unfinished. For example, if development stops 50% of the way through a game, then you get back 50% of what you paid up front. Mm. Um... Early Ninja will oversee and enforce development milestones proposed to them at the beginning of projects, and uh, they they will also retain a fee of fifteen uh, percent of, of the developer's revenue to cover structure and work costs for each copy sold, which is half compared to major video Whoa. game platforms of the sector such as Steam. Whoa. 15%. Mm. And, and this is well, Steam this is something 30%. separate, right? Like early ninja is going to have like their own app or something like that. It's not going to be on like Steam Greenlight, right? No, this is going to they're like a trying to be a distribution platform such as itch.io or Steam. Right. But specifically for early access games. Yeah. Which uh <laughs> means that they 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 would essentially be taking less than steam for i guess products that are considered less valuable um but if you see uh, uh any any developers or or journalists on on twitter these days arguing about early access games and and how they should be quote unquote fixed this this is why is because there's a kickstarter being launched for a new digital distribution platform aiming to fix that for for lots of money and it's come under fire from i think people who are giving well-intended criticisms who agree that that early access games are a problem but don't want it to be addressed in this way uh mike bithel who made thomas was alone and Mm -hmm. um uh great game uh, by the way uh, hang on, hang on. Volume. I <laughs> I knew what it was. The the Metal Gear Solid yeah, yeah. top down stealth puzzler. Um, right. has uh written a good piece outlining some some constructive but criticism arguments, kind of counterpointing almost every single goal early ninja aims to make. 
Uh, Mike Bithel says you're overestimating your services value. 15%. Really? Do you honestly think you can bring a game on your service even 1% of the eyeballs of such a competitor as Steam? The idea being that 15% is half the cut Steam takes, but uh, Steam is such a huge market that, yeah. that something um, just uh, starting up from the blue like early Ninja would probably have only... I don't know, like maybe 1% might be a gross underestimate, but but a very, very small percentage of people buying the game in the first place compared to how much money they could be making from sheer volume of sales on Steam. Right. Uh, he also worries that their team at Early Ninja is unfamiliar with the existing game's business. Um, he worries that Early Ninja overseers checking up on dev milestones will basically form the same thing as a publisher and developer relationship. Eh. Which, which is kind of true. He doesn't like because I don't. Indie developers don't like publishers. That's a sign I mean, they're indie. I mean, yeah, the, <laughs> the whole idea of having an indie game is that it is right. sans publisher. Having having someone looking over your shoulder, making sure that your product is meeting their specifications, oftentimes at the costs of of, of yours, mm. is uh, probably not something that would fly with a lot of developers making experimental projects that do rely. The ones that do rely on early access sales to exist in the first place. I I don't know. This like, looks like, like these guys are trying to make money. Like it doesn't seem like they care much. Like even a video, one look at that guy, you know he he's gonna <laughs> take that ninety four dollars and he's gonna buy some he gonna buy some stripper poles. You know what I'm saying? Ninety four dollars. <laughs> ninety four thousand. Ninety four thousand. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it might as well be ninety four dollars. Like no one's pledging anything. Like thirty six ba- backers, and like when you, when you, you know, when there's a, a little bit of backers, and you stroll all the way to the bottom, and someone has bought like one of the biggest. Like uh, many people have bought one of the biggest stuff. You know, yeah. You know, it's like oh, it. here's a thousand dollars of my own money, so people don't think that we're at zero. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, Mike Bithel also points out the 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 easy oversight that makes you feel like an idiot when you don't think about it, and that is that overseers checking up on on game development uh, milestones and and working with developers to reach those milestones are are a human that will be doing work, and uh, for ninety five thousand dollars a year. Uh, Mike Bithell argues they might get two on that Kickstarter amount if they pay them very badly. Because mm-hmm. yeah, on top of the cost um, of developing the software and the platform and the uh, online space and infrastructure to bring that to light, they also, as as part of their concept, they, they can't have it completely automated. Yeah, here's the thing. Whether whether or not they, this is a legit attempt, like whether or not they they actually do care about fixing early access and stuff, that I don't know. Um, and you can make your own conclusions on that. But the idealist uh, version of what they're trying to make here, I think I understand the concept, which is that yes, they would make money off of it. But if this service, if early, if like a theoretically working early ninja could get enough clout of say like a year of successfully 
putting in the work to make sure that good early access games get the recognition that they deserve, get funded through, and come out of early access. If they can have this, you know, reputation of being able to weed out the money grabs from the passion projects and bring them to the forefront, then this could be a half-decent service because then running off of reputation, you know, it'd be like going to reviewers that you trust to hear about games that you think that you'll like it, but it'll be like, I don't know if I should put my money into this early access game. Well, early ninja backs it early ninja is pushing it. So, I mean, they have a good track record of bringing, you know, like that's the hypothetical that I think they're trying to reach if they're, you know, doing this in full honesty and full, like good intentions. But at the same time, it seems like you need some sort of game, the game industry knowledge prior and something, you know, on your resume to be able to even make a startup with that goal, you know, like if a game developer or a longtime game business person did this, it would seem more legit, but I don't know. I, this is a weird thing. I, I don't understand how any developer would be more tempted to sign up for a program with uh, an creative enforcement for less sales when they could just go to Steam. Uh, I mean, again, I think the idealist version of this is that they're taking a lower cut than Steam, and if they had the if they had the clout and the the like basically if people respected this service enough then true passion projects would be like well i'm going with early ninja to show in full confidence that i intend to complete my game i'm really interested in in finishing this off it's not just a cash grab etc i get the idea the sheer number of sales will it's undoubtedly never be matched by just tossing an early access game up on Steam for sure. But I get what they're going for. I think it may be at least slightly misguided. Yeah, I just I don't know how much I sympathize with people also aiming to make early access games better at at, at the end of his essay. Mike Bithell argues that none of this makes early access games better even a little bit. Right now, shitty early access games are caught and mocked very, very quickly. They die on the vine because the PC community is a beautifully communicative lot. Mm. Which I kind of agree with as someone who's never felt a temptation to buy a shitty early access game and as a result has never really been burned by the concept. Yeah, I, I wonder I, who these people are who legitimately buy, like, uh, I don't know, the, the stuff well, that ends up on on Jimquisition Let's Plays. But here's the thing, like, I understand that there are outright obvious ones, but then, like, you have to look at some things like Ark, Survival Evolved, or whatever it's called, mm -hmm. still isn't out of early, early access. Mm -hmm. They've released full expansion packs yeah. to a game that's still <laughs> in early access. I'm actually looking at that. I'm, I'm actually looking at it. It's on sale. I've been hearing a, a lot about it. People really like it. Um, so at and, what point is it just semantics? But, right. 
And also, like, even to further that, there's things like, uh, what is it, H1Z1? Mm-hmm. And AZ. Like, well, H1Z1 specifically actually has full game mode standalones. Uh, a few of my friends recently got into H1Z1 King of the Kill, which is like, it's like 60-something people on a big-ass open map, and it's like you and your buddy or just you alone or whatever have to be like the last one to survive thing. But it's a game mode. Mm-hmm. It's just a standalone game mode, but it's $20 and it's early access on its, like on its own, separate from H1Z1. Yeah. There's also some other H1Z1 standalone mode that's also early access. And like, but the original game has a lot of positive reviews and a lot of people like it. So it's not necessarily weeded out as a cash grab, even though personally I believe it is just a cash grab right. to release a full fucking one mode as a $20 game in early access that you probably never plan on actually expanding upon. But like that one's not as cut and dry as like, you know, fucking shoot the rock simulator in early access now. Mm. Like fucking, I don't know. It's, it's weird it's really weird weird. like the the scorched earth or um the expansion pack for arc has like positive reviews like most it's mostly positive overall which is weird it was not so when it first came out right it's not it's still not very for the original for the original pack for the original game uh survival uh survival evolved and it's still mixed but I guess all those guys have left and all that's left is the core group. Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, it's low. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. Uh, speaking of things being mm-hmm. priced mm-hmm. weirdly and sold in, uh, and full packages of oh my god I can't segue anymore my brain is right. I'm drinking crystal coffee and if I had regular coffee I'd probably be able to do it uh, so I remember way way back when the TOVG podcast was still just a babby podcast we were talking about an effort uh, by by the EU to unify um, digital marketplace prices uh-huh. a lot of people in in um, lower income Eastern European countries did not like that. Because that would theoretically result in their prices going higher to bigger markets who who are buying games in higher income countries in the Western Europe. And that mm-hmm. has largely turned out to be the case. Uh, now, following up on, on those efforts is a, another effort by the European Commission to uh, investigate the, 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 the process of digital markets such as steam selling region locked per country codes on the internet which mm-hmm. seems like something that might be better for for eastern european customers because then they could make sure that they're getting the same products as people in the west but they're getting it at the same prices of people in the west which are going to be inflated for their lower incomes which still isn't good but i don't know it seems like this is is kind of the silver lining of uh of of unifying the prices of a multilateral trade agreement like this is that you mm. have customers who aren't going to be locked out of another market's cool products through the magic of the internet 
I, I am not an economics person and I'm finding it a little difficult to wrap my head around particularly which side of this is bad or good for which party. Mm. Uh, so forgive me for that. The The headline I'm is to, a mess. I'm trying to read it in the background. The headline <laughs> is European Commission opens antitrust investigations against Valve and participating PC branches of uh, five publishers. And those five publishers are Bandai Namco, Capcom, Focus Home Interactive, Coke Media, and Zinimax, who, who are also in hot mm. water this week. But this is the kind of story that, um, yeah, it's it's like really hard to make it uh, appealing to the average consumer unless it butterfly effects later on into grander efforts to just end region locking in general, which I think has gained a lot of steam over the past um, 10 years since Sony began that practice with the PlayStation 3. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, yeah, oh, PlayStation okay. 4 is also I, not I region sort of... locked. But yeah, yeah, for Americans, like the big deal right. is if we can import Japanese games and play them on our American consoles. For people mm -hmm. in Europe, the big deal is if they can mm. do the same for for Western European games on their Eastern European hardware. And the problem going on in this uh, in this case that this uh, antitrust investigation is looking into is in digital markets selling region locked uh, software codes. Right, okay. more or less could now. work fine on everyone's computer, but won't because they bought it in like I don't know Bulgaria. Right. Interesting. Um, yeah, okay, reading into this a bit more, apparently it's, it's, what they're citing is that the EU competition rules and basically trade agreements are that, uh, it should be, like, it's, it's encouraged that, you know, people can cross borders to purchase a thing that is of a more competitive price if i'm yeah, reading this correctly the problem and hypocrisy of that though is that in 2014 they enforced a more unified pricing scheme for for steam games in european markets mm, eastern and okay. western I european see. have the same prices for their steam games which hurts the eastern european customers more because they used to have for the games that did specifically released in those regions they would have tended to be sold cheaper to right to to, to accommodate the, the, the economy, economy yeah of that and i guess the idea might might be the 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 hopes that that money ends up trickling down into eastern european markets better but i don't know this this is when you get into the the subjective political opinions of people that that sometimes right. lead to wars Hmm. Uh, even then, not living in the EU, it's very hard to speak on this ourselves. The, the yeah. idea is to frame the whole continent of Europe as a single market. So so mm. they don't want products being sold on the internet that more or less otherwise would have no reason to be locked into one specific country. I see, I see. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you could buy a toaster that uses a different power outlet in one country versus another, but that's not necessarily the case when you download a game from the internet. Right. It's the same, same code, yeah. but just yeah. with a little line that says, but you can't play it if you're not in Poland. Um, so that's something that, I mean, I, 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 I thought it was interesting, not exactly like relevant probably to the Americans, but um, efforts to end region locking are, are something that typically 
gets a lot of like positive upheaval over here. Do, I think they. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I heard that the Nintendo Switch was going to be region locked. Uh, no, it's going to end region locked. Excellent. Great. Perfect. Because uh, what I'm planning on doing, now that I'm an old person and traveling to Japan, um, this, this is a, a thing I have to think about, is if stuff that I buy in Japan will, will still work when I bring it back home. And I have a really, really interesting right. video idea in which me and a friend bring a Nintendo Switch around the Japanese subway and and like seeing how well it works in its natural environment and if we uh that would be pretty cool yeah but if if it's region locked then that would kind of really be a bummer on the whole concept because that would mean that any games we buy in japan or buy in the states wouldn't work yeah. when we bring it across the border um i you can fact check me after the podcast um, i'm sure doing your research would be better than just taking my word for it but i seem to recall during the switch presentation right they uh uh, President Kimishima <gasps> yeah. specifically me- yeah. mentioned that region locking was going to no longer be a thing with the Switch. Yeah, 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 I looked it up just now. First result. Surprise, the Nintendo Switch will not be region locked. Yay! Yeah. Good. That's, yeah, that's, because that's, Captain Rainbow. We were, yeah. All, all those weird-ass Japanese RPGs that people were trying so hard to bring over to the West is now at least a little bit less of a problem. See, here's the thing. That... Like, that is a good thing. I would love to play games that only come out in Japan and be able to, like, get friends from Japan or going to Japan to, like, pick me up a copy of something over Mm -hmm. there. More so, I'm just happy that I'm not going to have another fucking Triforce Heroes situation where I'm so excited to play a spinoff Zelda game in in, in the engine of one of my favorite Zelda games in recent times with my friends from, say, Europe, and then them being like, by the way, you can only play the multiplayer with yeah. your region. And I'm like, why? Why is that a thing? I can play Splatoon with Japanese people. Why can't I play Throw Link Across the Gap with <laughs> European friends? Yeah. And so I didn't buy Triforce Heroes. That was my that's that crushed my selling point on, on Triforce Heroes. Uh, and uh, so I'm glad to not have that. That's with the one the Switch. where you can make Link cross dress, right? Yes. Cute. You can make him be a cute girl. Cute. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no possible segue from going into Link. No, just, just fucking go to the next one. So Zenimax is under investigation from the European Commission uh, in regards to an antitrust case they have opened. Uh, Zenimax, however, has been awarded $500 million from Oculus um, from the, the, the trial that they filed against Oculus on the grounds of breaking company NDAs and using company secrets and development of the Oculus Rift. Uh, I'm sure that John Carmack moving from Zenimax to Oculus had a lot to do with that. From the outside, it seemed like they were really salty and wrong. However, this verdict apparently reveals that the, the jury on the case thought they were in the right in some regards. I uh, don't think that this means that they quote unquote lost the case so much as they got punished less than they would have otherwise. Uh, The jury in Texas awarded half a billion dollars to Zenimax after deciding that Oculus um, founder Palmer Luckey and company failed to comply with the non-disclosure agreement he signed at Zenimax. But the jury Mm. also agreed that Oculus did not misappropriate trade secrets as contended by Zenimax. 
So I'm assuming that the penalty, the 500 million that they're paying now would have been made worse should they have also been found guilty of the of the of of the other contract violations. Um Oculus says they will be appealing and that they do look forward to putting this case behind them, but you know, trying to look on the bright side of things. Quote, the heart of this case was about whether Oculus stole Zenimax's trade secrets and the jury found decisively in our favor, uh, an Oculus spokesperson told Polygon. We're obviously disappointed by a few <laughs> other aspects of today's verdict, but we are undeterred. Nice. <laughs> quick, A quick note on that. Uh, after that statement, uh, you guys know uh, Rami, right, from Vlambeer? Rami Ismail? Yeah. Yeah. Uh he had a pretty pretty good tweet um on that that was like anybody who can uh anybody who has to pay out half a billion dollars in a court like in court over a lawsuit and responds with we're obviously disappointed by a few aspects <laughs> but are undeterred has way too much money on their hands. Yeah, way too much. <laughs> I'm really wondering if uh how how much of their total budget the 500 million dings into i'd imagine that had they not gotten bought up by facebook this would be a huge blow Ooh. to the company yeah Ooh. i think it would have been more more of a blow but i think didn't facebook they pay that facebook money that didn't facebook pay like a cool 2 billion for them or something 500 million is like a quarter of that so that's still a right. huge chunk but not enough to don't like don't quote me on that sink the whole I'm company it right now could have facebook. happened otherwise yeah okay i was right facebook buys oculus Rift for two billion dollars mm -hmm. and i guess that's and that was that was still back in development they're now selling and which i don't know how much yeah, yeah that it depends is on if they're in. selling at a profit or a loss at this point but 500 millions right. would have been devastating if they hadn't have been pawed out 500 millions might be like troubling but but I don't know if uh, if if this is going to be as dramatic a result as as some some of the more alarmist reactions might might suspect. Well, uh, furthermore, you have to know that that Zenimax would not have even remotely chosen to go with five hundred million dollars as their payout if oculus was not purchased by facebook or they might yeah. not even have sued and them supposedly the way the process worked i think they sued them before they got bought out by facebook oh really but okay. i think part of this well, process does involve the jury with some expert consolidation the jury actually deciding how much these penalties are worth and which yeah, is that's, another aspect okay. to it of, of the american legal system or like a lot of places legal systems of of you having average joes who might not be experts on vr and computer engineering try to decide how much trade secrets in those industries are worth um so john carmack opened up about this wrote a description of what it was like being in the courtroom on facebook and uh he says that when the when zenimax's expert testimonial came on they highlighted lines of code from from one project from Zenimax into another project on Oculus, but making the case that since the the two code bases that Zenimax's VR and Oculus's VR were working on weren't literal copies of one another, it should be fair enough use. He he says it's um using basic computer algorithms, which are just the mathematical formulas that make 
anything from from game design to software development work at all is uh, analogous to basic um, formats and outlines for for storytelling, like like the John Miller's mm-hmm. Hero's Journey being mm-hmm. used for, for for Star Wars and, and the Matrix. Right. And a million other things. Right, right. Uh, he says that the code was not literally copied. They didn't necessarily change the names of 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 characters in either of their two stories as the analogy he was putting made it so much as they were following the basic formula for how to develop VR software across the whole industry. And that the uh, expert witness testimonial that uh, Zenimax was able to hire up and drum up did a very good job convincing the jury otherwise. Mm. And yeah, he's that real sucks. bitter about it. And uh, just to be clear, just to like, because so Zenimax sued Oculus over this and they quoted that or they they basically implied that Oculus took code from id Software's VR. Right. No, that's what I'm saying. John Carmack is is the head of id, right? Well, I mean, it was a subsidiary of. Zenimax, like like so is but Bethesda what I'm saying and a lot of is, other companies. What I'm saying is, John Carmack is not on the Oculus side of things. Right. He's under Zenimax's banner. Yeah. So this is a not a guy. This is a guy who would be on the side of getting paid out to being like they like they totally fudged this to make it look one way, and the guy who fudged it was very convincing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm understanding that correctly, right? He's, okay. he's very angry about the uh reputation of, of the person who was paid to do this, which which I understand the process goes that a uh highly regarded academic or or engineer or some other expert professional has to make a presentation employed by the lawyers of one of the cases to translate the the jargon of all of this computer engineering gunk into layman's terms for the jury to understand and make their decisions with. And, and John Carmack didn't, didn't like that process. Well, that's upsetting. Pretty much hate all court stuff. It always comes out to this kind of stuff in the end and just makes me feel bad that people being shady are like totally moving ahead because of it. A company with, the more money is able to win more often. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's like everything. It's, re- it's really bad. We should stop it. Oh, mm. I'm, I'm about to take my upstairs neighbor to court because I've been fully distracted by the. <laughs> Wait, are they having sex? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's a lonely woman up there, I guess. Cause that's the only person I've seen. So may, maybe, I don't, Hey, Maybe she has like someone I'm not locked judging. up up there. I don't know. I'm I'm this close to getting a broom and Maybe be like, just keep a, it down, kids. Maybe he's and, just a Guild Wars mm. 2 player. <laughs> wait, wait, what? <laughs> I don't even... Where, I don't, how yeah, did I don't you really reach to, that conclusion? Based off of the stereotypes that MMO players never go outside. Oh my God. And your, your history. That, that was like... That that wasn't like the next logical step. You took like, like, 
six or seven supposed steps from that yeah, to reaching uh, the noise that Matt was making. Yeah. That, that, that. It was still funny. I just don't really know why I laughed. I mean, yeah, you said she's a lonely old woman, and I was like, I don't know. Maybe she has a man in her life. Maybe he just never comes outside. Maybe he's a Guild Wars 2 player. That's how you actually deliver a joke. If I had regular coffee, I bet I would have <laughs> delivered that joke better. But alas, unfortunately, I delivered a shitty joke. No. And, and just completely wung it in, in the middle of a Thursday evening. Ooh, it's getting hot in here. It's getting sweaty. I think I uh, think I think Yo. I need to duck out of here. Ooh. Listeners and friends out there, if you want to support George Weedman, Why Super Bunny you? Hop, if you want to do that, if you want to get this man a bit of money Off the so that he can go purchase non-crystallized coffee, yes. where can they find you, George? At uh, youtube.com slash bunnyhopshow. Wonderful. And, <laughs> and if you'd like to Pause. to support help Matthew. Matt help Matt Visual pay for his his lawyer uh, no. to file a lawsuit against the person upstairs. Maybe a nice um bright orange water gun, because that's what they use to rob me. Um <laughs> if you guys can help me. By watching a couple of my videos, I'll be able to pay for one of those and go upstairs and squirt her in the face. Okay? Right. All right. Yeah. She'll stop then. Where can, where can they find those videos, YouTube. though? YouTube.com slash Matt Visual. <laughs> Wonderful. You know, sometimes I forget and that your name is Matthew. Yes. Matthew. Matthew Visualist. Yes. That is my last They're name. both shortened. Yeah. Um, I just shortened for Matt. You know, so it's it's Matthew Visual, but I just showing it for Matt because it sounds better. Right, Matthew right, Visual just doesn't, yeah, you know, doesn't ring off the tongue, yeah. So, and on the internet and other stuff, I go by the name of Sunder. And if you want to check out my stuff, follow me on Twitter at SunderCR. Pretty much post everything I do there. Uh, but if you just want to check out my YouTube, go to YouTube.com/SunderGamer, and, and it's spelled Sundeer, Sundeer. So S U N D E E R. Not true. One E. One E. Um, made a video about Dungeons and Dragons recently. You should go watch that. And I think I'm gonna make a video soon about the YouTube algorithm and what it means for our ty- us types of creators. Uh, in case you don't want to go watch the game theory one oh. that's on it, which is pretty good. By our the types way, types in oh. OK series. The one you have to kind of we you have to dig to find us, right? <laughs> yeah, we're we're buried. Game theory though, they're right up there at the top. You can, hey, they uh, anyway. uh, Android board of <laughs> like Jimmy's one. like. Wait a minute, let's stop this conversation before it goes any further. Oh, it's I, I actually I, I like a lot of the game theory guys. I've met. A few of them, and they're I've, nice chaps. Of course, I like first. I love first. I want to give him a <laughs> hug not, right now. He's very cuddly. Right. <laughs> very cuddly. We went out for some roach, uh, some roach uh, Chinese food the uh, before he left. It was nice. Is roach the name of the place? I would hope. Uh, there was a roach there, so <laughs> automatically. <laughs> okay. okay, that's, that's fair. That's mm-hmm. not tasty. It, w- it was you know not Chinese tasty. Food is- 
had a little bit of Chinese crunch. Chinese food is the though. only food. Oh god. Oh no. <laughs> no no vomit. Chinese food is the no vomit. Not this time. <laughs> I'll try. I'll try one more time. Chinese food is the only food that I've sworn off of. I can't eat Chinese food. Really? You don't want some? There's no lo mein. Want some? I don't sushi? know what that is. Sushi is Japanese. Yeah. Ooh. You know, I, I, as I was saying that, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm going to Japan. The regret started this ramping is not up. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Uh huh. No, there's not a food that makes me feel worse than Chinese food. So, wait, is Lo Mang like Chinese? Is yeah. It? I mean, I have in no America idea. it is. Yeah. yeah oh, well. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, it is Chinese. Thanks for listening. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening. That is your daily fact of the day or weekly fact of the week on TVG podcast. Loming is Chinese food in a, um, America. Chinese restaurants. That's do, what do, 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 Right. Yeah. yeah. This just in sushi is actually Japanese. <laughs> That's two facts in one week. Wow. You guys are just so, so lucky this week. Whoa, so whoa. let's get out of here. Let's, yeah. let's go play video games and make videos. Yeah, I'm going to make a video when I get there. You. Look, I'm eating I've Chinese sushi. <laughs> God, I've been trying to wait for George to do it, but he has not picked up on the on the hits. So uh, taking us let's out go. this time is oh, our special oh, musical, guest. Right, musical guest. Whoever whoever the fuck it is, you'll hear uh, it Neil in Cicerega. like... Whoa. Yeah, actually, yes. Welcome to Larry King Live. How do you explain Tim Allen? Collins is next.